0: You are listening to a podcast from The National. For the first time in 10 years, Afghans took to the polling stations to elect candidates to the National Assembly and took part in the future of their country. But a series of violent attacks have put a damper on the democratic turnout. Afghan security forces claimed more than 100 attacks took place in the week leading up to the elections and on the day. The attacks killed 23 and wounded hundreds. The Taliban claimed most of the attacks, including one incident where they bombed the office of one of the candidates in the south of the country. The events represent a political reality in strife. The Taliban, who along with other insurgent groups, control vast swaths of the country. They have attempted to curtail the elections. The attacks, which included suicide bombings, could be responsible for the low turnout of the 9 million registered to vote in the country, only about 4 million showed up. Nonetheless, after years of delays and months of negotiations, the country has voted for the first time in a decade. So what does this mean for the future of Afghanistan? And how will this affect the ongoing U.S. negotiations with the Taliban over a potential peace deal? We'll look to answer these questions on this episode of Beyond the Headlines. I am Nasr wesmi and I am joined by Ruchi Kumar. She is the National's Kabul correspondent. Ruchi covered elections in Afghanistan and has kept a close eye on the aftermath from the violence earlier this week. Thank you for joining us, Ruchi. These elections were marred by blasts, but nonetheless Afghans went out to vote. What I want to know is who claimed the blasts and what are the
1: reasons behind them? So, from the data that was provided by the Ministry of Interiors, a total of 193 incidences of insecurity were observed around the country during the period. Um, majority of these incidences were attributed to Taliban, or claimed by the Taliban. Um, however, there were a few incidences in which um, local, uh, you know, uh, power holders were involved, where they tried to influence uh, uh, who influenced the local parliamentary candidates. Taliban, on their own part. Uh, you know, claim to have conducted over 400 operations. However, uh, more often than not, the Taliban data is inaccurate and you know very exaggerated for for their own benefit.
0: Why are the Taliban conducting these attacks? I mean, is that is that part of their uh, protest against the democratic process, or is it something else?
1: Um. So in their uh, in their statement, when they bo- boycotted the elections, uh, they. Called it bogus. They called it a sham. They called it controlled by foreign influences. Um, they believe that it's not an Afghan-owned or Afghan-led process. But um, in in my opinion, I feel like um, it basically uh, the parliamentary election is as um, Afghan-owned as anything else can be. Like because. Um, you can you can see this by the number of Afghans that came out to vote, the number of Afghans who stood in line for hours and hours, despite technical difficulties, despite insecurities. So it was very evident that if there's one thing that the Afghans want to control 100%, it's their own parliament. So whether or not they have control over other um, uh, other arms of, of the government, whether whether or not they have control over the security situation, Afghans as as a whole people were were determined to make sure that the parliament represents them, that they have, you know, it's, it's entirely owned by them. And I feel that... Um threatens the Taliban more than anything, because uh, they are, well, the Taliban is currently in talks with the U.S. administration. The Taliban did uh, respond positively to peace talks initiated by uh, the Afghan government, you know, when they agreed to the ceasefire earlier this year. So the Taliban is showing signs of, of giving in or, you know, at least giving into a negotiation. But when they do get into an actual negotiation in the future, they will want Afghans on their side, or at least partially, um, they will want the Afghans to be in favor of them. And I guess they they feel that you know by uh, the democratic process by having a parliament that is uh, that does not represent them, I feel I, so they uh, they probably feel threatened because um, another uh, significant fact of this. Um, of, of these elections was the number of candidates that were for youth. They were not your old Mujahideen fighters. They were not your old uh, politicians and warlords. Uh, Like, I don't have exact data, but from what I've heard, a majority of the candidates, like more than 60% of the candidates were under the age of 40, which means a majority of the candidates had lived their lives or had grown with the war. So the war is nearly 40 years old, and these candidates grew alongside the war. So their realities are very different than the ones who fought the war. And and I guess that also, to some extent, threatens the Taliban.
0: Regardless of their leaning, without the Taliban, what chance of success will these elections have? How will the results even matter if a part of the population is clearly against them?
1: Ahead of the elections, we all speculated that there would be a lot more violence coming from the Taliban and also coming from other insurgent groups like ISIS, which is which is relatively new in this region. Um, there was also fear that the local... Power uh, brokers, uh, you know, the local influencers um, in in the regions might try to control it, but surprisingly, that violence was far less. You know, most of the violence that happened was attributed to the Taliban, which means the Taliban was the biggest hurdle in the security, um, in, in the eventual security to for conducting the elections. So if it wasn't for the Taliban, I feel like the elections could have been a far more bigger success. Um Apart from the insecurity, one of the issues that are, one of the major hurdles was the technical issues that they faced. Um, you know, they introduced new biometric systems to make sure that fraud was was to a minimum. Um, but then there, the people who were taught how to um, operate these biometric systems were unable to get to the, the polling stations on time, or in some cases, they were unable to get to the polling stations at all because of the insecurity. But... Um, largely, I feel like if it wasn't for the Taliban, the elections would have been a far bigger success, uh, because one of the number of uh, number of Afghans that come, came out in you know in support to vote, um, number of. Afghans who registered to vote was also significant. This, despite the fact that the Taliban had been uh, discouraging, or threatening, or or creating hurdles, you know, months ago, and uh, not allowing people to to register. They attacked and targeted several registration uh, centers, and despite all that, a significant number of Afghans did register, close to nine million, and. A significant number of them did come out and vote, and there are still many who did not get the opportunity to vote. Like, you know, I've actually spoken to a few Afghans who stood in line, um, but they were not able to. Some had to go away because of the security. Uh, even though elections were extended by a whole day, they were, you know, when they went back to, you know, the second day, they were still not able to cast their vote. So there were a lot of logistical and technical issues. There were there was a lot of security issues, but still, you know, more than 50% of, of who or roughly 50% of, of the Afghans that registered did get to vote. And that, that's basically a testament that, you know, if it wasn't for the Taliban, this could have been a much bigger success.
0: Ruchi, you mentioned earlier that there were more than 100 attacks. What do yeah. these blasts say about the security capacity in Afghanistan, considering that there were some 54,000 police on duty?
1: Yeah. Yeah, uh, the security... You know, I mean, it's, it's easy for me to say at this point that security could have been better managed. Um, there could have been, you know, there were some incidences where um, where we heard reports from from the north where, where the Taliban had blocked entire villages, not allowing, you know, uh, Afghans to come out. Like, they basically took the entire village hostage, not allowing them to vote, or kidnapped uh, election workers, or um, conducted attacks on some major checkposts. So, you know, the entire highways were blocked. Um, so, yeah, all of that could have been better managed and better prevented, like, you know, it could have been uh, con- uh, brought in control, of, like, this was something everybody expected, like, we expected the attacks to take place. But um, but despite that, like, may- maybe I'm, I probably, as not being Afghan myself, I'm probably not in a position to say, I feel like um, the security forces did a great job. Like, but but I'm I'm talking as an outsider because I'm not the one who actually stood in the line, you know, mm-hmm. uh, waiting to vote. And I'm not the one, you know, who had uh, you know bombs explode while waiting in line. Uh, but like from what I see as an outsider, I actually expected a lot more incidences, and I expected a lot more incidences even coming from uh, ISIS or coming from you know local parties like local warlords. But uh, Considering that a lot of that was uh, um, was stopped before it could happen, like there was a lot of activity that had been happening, there are a lot of updates that came in ahead of the elections, like in the weeks ahead of the elections, where the forces managed to curtail a lot of the insurgency, or not lot, maybe some of the insurgency. So I feel like um, to some extent it was. Uh, it was, it was Im- remarkable, if not impressive. It was it was something noteworthy.
0: Going back to something you said earlier, I want to know, where are the peace negotiations now with the Taliban? We know that the U.S. was in talks with the Taliban in the weeks leading up to the election. Mm-hmm. But what do the attacks from this week mean for the future of peace talks? Um,
1: so the attacks, uh, the most significant attacks from this week that's, you know, could impact the future of the peace talks is the one in Kandahar, which actually, incidentally, has uh, affected uh, elections there. Kandahar province will... uh, The elections in Kandahar province have been postponed by a week, so they will be taking place in a few days. Um, But uh, the attack that took place in in Kandahar is... It was very significant because, one, it took place in the presence of uh, U.S. commanders uh, who were injured. Um, It took uh, place—it killed uh, General Razik, who is known to be a strongman in Gandhar, who who has been credited, despite being accused of human rights violation, he has been credited to keeping the South, the entire South, safe, or keeping the, the Taliban in check in the South. Um, this will change a lot of things in the South because his death means that, uh, because he used to micromanage a lot of the security details in the South, which basically means that his death will will give the Taliban a leverage in, in Kandahar, in, in southern provinces and in Helmand in Uruzgan. I mean that we'll have to wait and see, but that that is a bit that's a bit of a scary thought. But the second reason is that the fact that there were there was a U.S. commander present, there were U.S. soldiers injured in, in this attack, could uh, impact the peace talks because right now the peace talks are happening between the the Taliban and the U.S. The Afghan government's involvement is very is to the minimum. Few days before that, the Taliban said that they were willing to have peace talks. You know, they they did meet uh, Americans and they were willing to have more peace talks. You know, like more negotiations with the Americans, and and that was a promising sign. But you know, when this attack happened, they claimed it and they did admit that they. That the U.S. commander was among their targets, which basically changes the narrative. Because on one hand they are they are offering to negotiate, on the other hand they are trying to inflict violence and gain a leverage in in some sorts. For now, the State Department or basically the embassies have said that they will that this does not impact the peace talks. But I suspect it will. Uh, I suspect that this will change how the Americans move forward because if it's going to you know threaten their interests. I, I think they will have to reconsider a lot of things before before they get into the next round of uh, negotiations or next round of, you know, um, talks with, with the Taliban.
0: Another factor that might be used to gain leverage from the American side, uh, NATO reported that there's an increase in uh, U.S. troops in the country despite the previous American administration's efforts to claim that they were trying to pull out. How does that affect... Yeah. The Taliban, how does that affect the peace negotiations? If, I mean, that sign might be interpreted as a preparation for more aggression or perhaps to just muscle the Taliban into surrendering. Somehow,
1: when the announcement was made that there would be more troops on ground eventually or, you know, around this year, um, that was one of the questions that was raised uh, to General Nicholson when he was here. And basically what he explained was that while they are conducting talks and while they are open to, you know, the Afghan government and the U.S. administration talking to the Taliban, they want to keep the the pressure on the taliban you know ongoing simultaneously they want to keep the taliban in check because um, the negotiations will not be along the lines and this is this is my assumption that the negotiation will not be along the lines where uh, the taliban make demands and and those are met it will be more of a two way process so to to make sure that they have the leverage Uh, it was important for, like militarily, strategically, it was important for the Afghan forces and for the NATO forces to continue applying pressure to Taliban strongholds so that um, they have the upper hand when the talks eventually happen.
0: And then going back to the elections, aside from the blasts, were the elections fair and transparent or were there any concerns raised?
1: There were quite a few concerns raised. There is, a, there is in fact, a body for uh, monitoring uh, electoral uh, complaints, complaints coming out of the elections. And they documented quite a few complaints of, um, you know, lack of transparency, lack of, you know, where the observers were not allowed, the independent observers were not allowed inside the uh, polling booths to, to take reports. Um, and they did, they were... On a whole, the the Complaints Commission was not very happy with the way uh, elections were executed. But these complaints are right now, this is just like an overview. They've just given us an overview of what they've witnessed. Um, as the counting begins and as the results are being announced, I feel like more complaints will come forward. There will be more concerns of transparency. There will be more concerns of, you know, uh, fraud. And so far, the problems seem more logistic, like to me uh one other concern was uh, i the the minorities uh, many of the minorities felt uh that they were discriminated against because they were not allowed to vote in a lot of the centers um this includes uh the Kuchis, the nomads um in a very um in a very shocking like one of the posts, the the ca- one of the candidates one of the leading candidates for the kuchi the nomads she herself could not cast her vote Despite, you know, going to several, to to the polling booth several times, because uh, the arrangement for the nomads to Kassia, or because they are a minority, uh, the arrangements were not made. So the candidate herself could not cast her vote and she reported of several incidences from around the country where other, you know, nomad communities came out, but either their names were not on the list or, you know, the the ballot papers that were required for nomads to cast the votes were not available and, you know, issues like that. So there were a lot of these um, concerns and, and I don't know how the Election Commission plans to uh, approach them or rectify them. Um, but these will aggravate further.
0: And finally, we're just a few days out from the vote, but are there any early signs from the elections?
1: There, there are no, uh, there's no data available. There are no details provided as of now. There are a few candidates who claim to, you know, be leading based on, you know, initial counts. But yeah. Um, um but like there is no and I feel like most of the data will be available once Kandahar goes to vote. So once everything is complete probably that's when the counting will begin and you know the the dates. So maybe a week or so we should have a clearer idea. In a week or so we should also know what the issues are. We should we will find out if there were there are any major claims to fraud, if there are any major claims to lack of transparency. All of that will become clear in about a week.
0: All right, Ruchi, thanks so much for joining us on this episode.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Ruchi is a journalist working out of Afghanistan, among other major cities around Asia. You can read her coverage of the elections at thenational.ae. I'd like to thank her for joining the show. I'd also like to thank Karma Gurum for producing. You can find this and all the other national podcasts on our website or get them off of Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Audio Boom, or your favorite podcasting app. I've been your host, Nasalwesmi. Thank you for listening and goodbye.